everything? Did I miss something? <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Sometimes I worry about that. I, I should write it down, but then I'd have to use my board. And you know how important that is. Okay. Oops. I forgot to put my other chart up here too, though. I'll do that in a second. Okay. Let's start with the doctrines of, 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 um, concerning spiritual gifts review for me I did not even take notes on this so I'm counting on you to just tell me what do we know are doctrines concerning spiritual gifts okay they are given by God there's literally he determines right he determines who gets what correct all right in the in the determining and of the who gets what does god distinguish anywhere that you have seen so far where he says but i don't give this kind of a gift to women or i don't give this kind of a gift to men is there any distinguishing concerning genders at all would you say confidently to somebody if they ask that question that if it were true that there was a discerning of, uh, or a, dis or a um, distinguishing concerning gifts for gender, that it would be within the doctrinal teachings. Yes, okay. So we can confidently put that, even though it's really never mentioned, the fact that it's not mentioned is actually screams, right? It screams at you that gender plays no part in who gets what gift, okay? Is that D-A-R or E-R? E-R, thank you. Gender um, does not determine gifts or gifting, right? Okay, what else do you know about gifts? At salvation, you receive your gift. Receive your gifts at salvation. How? but through the Holy Spirit. Okay. What else do we need to know? Everyone receives a gift. I'm going to drop down here. Everyone receives gifting. You know, we don't know how many gifts we each get who gets to decide that as well god but we each have at least one and i would venture to say we each have more than one um and therefore there's a, a blending of that the the one of the points about that concept that god gives gifting um and that he speaks of it as the manifold grace of god is that that manifold grace means that it's that there's a a blending in various measures and degrees of different kinds of giftings. And so no, no one of us is alike. So the way one of my commentaries described it is that it's we're like snowflakes. Each of us are unique in our gifting. And so that that's why one person with the gift of leadership 
is not going to be demonstrated in the same way in another leader. There's there in each of them are going to have some strengths and also some weaknesses, right? And therefore God has determined exactly how they're going to be gifted. And then God's going to use them appropriately according to where they are gifted and not gifted, right? The wisdom for a leader then would be where they know they're weak. What should they do? Find their per, their person to come alongside of them, right, to help them out. Okay, so everyone receives gifting. What else? All the gifts have value. Every gift is necessary. Every gift is needed of value. Necessary. However you want to say that. There is no gift that's greater, no gift that's lesser. As a matter of fact, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, God gives us that analogy of a body and talks about where would the body be if the whole body were an eye, right? And so he, he explains that you must have the full working of the body. You know, I always thought of it as a baseball team, too. You know, you, you, it's, everybody's always so excited about the pitcher, right? When you're a young kid, everybody wants to be the pitcher. But the problem is you got to have a right fielder. And that was always me <laughs> because I was the worst player on the team. But you know what? When the ball was hit out to me, they were counting on me hopefully get that ball and be able to throw it in. <laughs> I wasn't always that good at it, but I tried. <laughs> I was the best cheerleader, though. <laughs> so they kept me around because I was the loudest. <laughs> okay, any, any other points that you want to recall? Okay, the purpose of the gifts is for the common good. For the common good to edify the body, right? It's for the edification of the body. Um, and it's not therefore, is there anywhere that you saw in there that your spiritual gifting is for you personally? No, it is for the edification of the body. So in other words, you're given a gift so that you fit within the body. And as a matter of fact, one of the statements that says in 1 Corinthians 12 is that uh, the reason he, God does it that way, that he gives each of us a different body part, right? A different place to play. And, and then he places us in the body so that what therefore is needed, everyone, right? We will have need of one another. There would, I, I cannot do my job if I don't have all of you out there helping and doing your part as well. When it comes to my personal ministry, the, the church on the big, in the bigger uh, part, each ministry requires each of its body parts in their functioning and working, or it just is not successful, right? Okay. So, and it's the purpose of your gifting then is you're to come alongside of someone or they come alongside of you and you work together as a team. And it's for the edification of the body. It's for the common good. Not for my good, it's for the common good, right? I work for others, not for me, okay? Any other points? 
Okay, so those are our doctrines, basic, do there's probably some others and we'll come to think of them later probably, but for right now that's sufficient. Doctrines concerning spiritual gifts, these doctrines that we even mentioned are going to be great anchors for you. Those are going to be those pillars that when questions come up for you in scripture, your mind should be able to go back to this and say, oh, but I know that can't be true because this is what I know. God is the one that gives that gift. No one can lay hands on me that I might receive a gift. Now, if there's a laying on of hands and it's talking about some kind of gifting, what would you conclude then about that passage? What is probably going on there? Have you ever seen a church that comes together, lays hands on someone and prays for them and speaks about their gifting? What is going on generally? Yeah, they're about to send them out. It's some kind of a commissioning, right? It's a And or it's simply a recognizing of their work within the body that they're doing. If they're not sending them out, maybe they're just kind of collectively as a body endorsing the work that they're about to begin within the church. You know, I can remember for in many of my other churches where they would do that for teachers, for uh, ministries, new ministries that would get started up if you had a new MOPS program starting or if you had a new youth group activity and they had a new director come into place, they would call them forward and they would put them in front of the congregation and they would pray for them in their gifting. But their laying on of their hands did not give them that gift, right? The gifting was already there because when do you receive your gift? At your spirit, at your spiritual birth by the Holy Spirit. So that's not your doing, it's God's. God determines. Okay, so that's that. Now let's go to the next point as a point of review from last week concerning the subject of authorities. Now this is this one is a little tougher to unravel because as always, God does not give all the information in one verse, right? He doesn't have it all packaged neatly in one, in one place. I have for years said I really wish uh, precept would put together a uh, Bible study, a topical study on God's designed roles, you know, and try to split some hairs on some of these things. So that we understand these positions that God has us and, and what it is that we lay back upon or, or revert back to to know whether something is okay or not okay, right? Do we not have controversy out there all the time about who can pastor a church, for instance? right? And if you have an opinion on that, do you not want your opinion founded in doctrinal truth? This is why I know it's right. This is why I know it's wrong. I want to know, how do I know what I know? How do you know it's, it's okay? How do you know it's not okay? Tell me your basis or your foundation. So I'm going to tell you my line of, of thinking that what God has taught me through the years on this. And I think and I can show you then, and we have actually did it last week, I can walk you through some of those passages um, that actually support that conclusion. Okay, the first one is God himself has um, um, positions, designed position, correct? When you consider like 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, it talks about... There is, there is one spirit, but many gifts. Here's one. Um, I guess I should open it. Do you have it handy, somebody? Because I like the way it, it says it, and I can never remember the whole flow. Here, okay, hold on. Let me get it. Okay. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, right? There are varieties of ministries, 
and the same Lord, and there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Now, in that, one of the things that, that we looked at was how is the, the triune God one but yet three? And so last week we did, remember we did a word study on, um, was it the word another? Was that the one that we looked at? And what we ended up seeing was that the way the Greek broke that down, it actually retained the, the equality of God, but yet identified the distinguishing roles of God, right? That they each had their own distinguished place. Okay, so in the Godhead, God demonstrates us in 1 Corinthians 11.3. Somebody have that handy? Let's open that one up, 1 Corinthians 11. Just open to 1 Corinthians 11 because we're going to probably use that passage 11, 12, and 13 quite a bit anyway. So let's just do that together. Uh. Okay, somebody have 11.3 handy? Okay, so again, there we see that God shows us through this statement that there are designed roles. Even in the Godhead, he's the established idea or concept of designed roles, but yet equality, right, is established through a doctrine right there in 1 Corinthians 11.3, that God is one, 1 Corinthians 12, the same God, the same spirit, the same Lord of all, right? And in this one, he says, but God is the head of Christ, right? And then he goes, and then he transitions. He says, and then Christ is the head of the church. And then we move on further and it talks about the man is the head of what? The woman, right? So what has he said to you in that? Does he said that there's a design role between men and women as well? when it comes to authorities and when it comes to positions, right, that God has placed. Now, one of the things that we, what we do is we go on and we look about the subject of marriage then. In the beginning, um, God established marriage and he put Adam as the head over the woman, right? And he talks about how the woman came from man and that man is to be the protector and the provider and the, and the priest, the spiritual leader. When man failed to do that and, and, and Eve usurped her authority and stepped in and then she convinced her husband to follow her, what happened? Big mess, right? So there came the fall. The consequence of that in the in the um, discipline that God gave actually was he gave reminders to us of where we went wrong by stepping out of the designed roles. And to man, what he said to the man was, from now on, when you are as a provider providing, you are going to do so by the sweat of your brow. It's going to be hard, laborious work, right? And then for the woman who'd stepped out of her designed role, in this case, he makes mention of her childbearing. And he says, for you, guess what your reminder is going to be? You're going to give birth by the pain of your of your birthing. So in both cases, these are, and if you hadn't thought of it, these are continual year by year, generation by generation, ever ongoing reminders that we stepped out of line of God's designed order. And he's reminding you regularly, 
you stepped out of line, it caused a real problem, I corrected it, and by the way, my son has come to die because of this mess, right? When you stepped out of line of submitting to God's authority, and also the wife stepped over and usurped her husband's authority, this, this put everything out of line with what God's design plan was. Now here's one of the fundamental reasons about why God established man over woman in their relationship because it's a picture. You know and I know that God constantly uses pictures in scripture and in his teaching and dealing with us to explain things. So for instance, the temple pictures Christ and all the work of Christ, right? Uh, sometimes a shepherd is used as a picture so that you understand the relationship that we have, whatever. So marriage is also a picture. Marriage is a picture of who? Christ and his church and he calls it his bride so christ is the husband the bride is his is the is the church the church is his bride so in relationship in marriage relations the man represents christ the woman represents the bride right and in that picture then if you destroy me this is why god hates divorce if you divorce the husband from the wife in our daily living, right? It destroys the picture of Christ and his church. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so marriage was established at the beginning by God. It was established to be a picture, okay? Of Christ and his bride. That was always the design, okay? And the church then, in its picture in marriage, is discussed in Ephesians 5, and I know most of us know that passage, but if you go into Ephesians 5 toward the end, 22 all the way down into the end, it talks about wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives, and explains all this and, how, and why you're supposed to do that. 1 Corinthians 11 now, let's go back to 11 and look at verse uh, 4 to 16, just kind of in general. And he says, every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. Now, here we have in 11 another setup where the designed order of God is being, um, uh, what is it, rebelled against by contentious women. Same thing happened in the Garden of Eden. These women uh, are refusing to show honor and respect to the authority in, uh, uh, of their day by doing what traditionally in their day was considered appropriate, which was to cover their head when they came into the house of the Lord for prayer. So they were taking off their, ha their hats. Not that hats matter at all. It was the symbolic picture that was present in the day of it, right? We don't have to do it today because why? Because it's not that symbolic picture anymore. But it would be the same though today where we have women who absolutely insist on taking authority positions over men in our churches. It's the same contentiousness that we see here in 1 Corinthians 11. So God says because marriage is established by God, it's a picture of Christ and his bride. Christ has his place, and the bride has her place, right? So in marriage, the husband has his place, and the wife has her place. Now, let's take that down to the church. So if those two are pictures, now take the church. We have the church. If you have church leaders, who do you think they represent? Christ. And who are the rest of us, parishioners? we're the bride, right? 
the authority then in this case, since Christ is the head of the church and the husband is the head of the woman, who do you think should take the position as head over your churches in authority? Men who are the husband. Sorry, girls. For people who don't like that, and I know it's touchy, but this is your doctrine why this is the right way. What's really cool, though, is people who really love the Lord and love God's word, eventually they come around to this and go, well, of course. Why didn't I think of that before? That makes such good sense. Because when you start looking at the analogies and you're looking at the pictures and you understand that what you don't want to do is destroy God's picture, because when you destroy the picture, you destroy the gospel. This is the gospel message that God has to the world about who he is and what his relationship is with us. Okay? So in the church, that authority position, which would be those um, um, offices, okay? Not spiritual giftings. So that's another thing we've got to split hairs on. There's a distinction between the office of, right, and the spiritual gift of. Everyone, according to our doctrines, gets spiritual gifting regardless of gender. But when it comes to the establishing of the church and the offices, who takes authority positions to lead as the husband, basically? Men. Any questions? Wow, huh? Does it, Have you guys all kind of battled with that one before and wondered how does this work and because I know it's a big it it, maybe it's not quite a hot topic today because we've kind of worked through it but you know what's happened many churches have allowed women to have those positions because more women are taking it and the men are rebelling I know Right, right. Any other thoughts? Here's the, here's the thing, though. Now, once you have men in those designed authority positions in the offices of, in other words, office of the pastor, office of the elder, office of the overseer, you know, whatever the legislative ruling body is, because what it says in First First uh, uh, Corinthians 11, I think it is, no, it was not that one. It was the Timothy one, I think, where it says, um, it's First Timothy chapter 2, where it goes on to say that, um, I lost my train of thought for five seconds. Why did I do that? Oh, I hate it when that happens. Okay, so let me just back up. The church, its picture is, in, is given to us in marriage. Its operation for authority is discussed in 1 Timothy 2, where it says, I do not allow for women to have authority over a man. That is, in essence, what's being said in that passage. That's as clear as it can be. However, then, does that mean women cannot exercise their spiritual gifting as a leader, as a teacher, as an evangelist, as an administrator, as a whatever the other gifts are that you can think of, can they not administer or exercise those gifts in the church and be over men in doing so, having men underneath their authority in that capacity? 
why or why not? Can I teach men in this classroom? I do. And why do you think? There you go. The head of me is my authority. Am I holding an authority position in this church? No. I am simply exercising a spiritual gift. over the word and the teaching of the lesson, right? And there should be mutual respect given. Not place me in an authority position over anyone. I don't have any authority over any one of you. Oh, within the church. It's different, though, because who is the administrator who's over that person? The head pastor. Yes. Yes. Are you getting it? Yeah. Yep. Right. Yes. Absolutely. Women can head all the ministries within churches. Under the authority of the pastor, who can, the pastor must be the must be the man the man because a woman is not to have authority over a man. The authority in any church, any organized structured church, is the pastor. Correct. So that is the one that has to be in place. And once he's in place, right underneath him, we all have freedom to exercise in any capacity we want because we are gifted. By God, we are placed in the body as he so determined. And if he gave you the gift of leadership, then you should be working leadership. And I, I'm sure you guys noticed this week, but one of when we looked at the uh, exercise of administration, that is a, a leadership job. It's a role is, is of leadership, right? And certainly, I would dare any man to argue with our administrator. Right? <laughs> right? Why? Well, just by nature, there's an, a sense of authority there, and everybody gets it. I mean, it's like it's natural to submit to your leaders when you're in sync with the Holy Spirit and you recognize spiritual gifting. It is so easy to do that. And it's very easy also for, for people to want to come and sit underneath a teacher regardless of the gender if they're really seeking to have the knowledge of God and the wisdom of God and that teacher is spiritually gifted now if you're sitting under someone who's not so it's harder and that's where the rubs often gets because a lot of time churches bring people in to operate in positions that they're really not gifted in it's not their spiritual gift and because it's not their gift, it shows. And it makes it really hard for men to swallow a woman trying to explain to them something that they can tell they're off or they're, you know, they, they don't see, seem to have that command of authority over the word itself. My authority is in the word. That's the only authority I have. And uh, this is one of the reasons I love precepts so much because what we do is we put everything up on the board in black and white. And, and if you and I are having a debate about something, I can say, argue with God. I'm not the one who said it. God said it, 
right? And that's why if you lay down doctrines, then you've got something to stand on because it's not me that you're arguing with. If you don't like the fact that men are supposed to be the authority, go argue with God about that. He's the one that set that design in place. Why do you think he set the design in place? Because God has designed also designed authority and positions. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit each have their designed roles, and yet they are one. And that's the one thing that we did learn last week, which I loved, right? That you can see that they were equal. When it said, and another, right? I will send you another helper. That was the word that we looked up. Okay. All right. So hopefully that has set a couple of little points. I, I just wanted to drive that home a little bit more clearly. It is a topic, a topic that people can get heated over. A lot of it is difficult for older men. Unfortunately, they just don't get it. And it's because they had bad teaching. And so once it's hardwired in, it's hard to unwire it. That is the, that is a, a tough work to do sometimes. And um, it also has a lot to do with personal experiences, you know, how they, how they've been raised and what their experiences with women have been. So I'm here to tell you whatever your gift is, you can exercise it in the body of Christ under the authority of your pastor. Your pastor is your, is your head, and he's holding the designed authority position. And the fact that I'm here is because I have my umbrella. This is one of the things that Precept teaches and, and expects of teachers who are out there doing like I'm doing for the work of Precept is I, I must have an authority over me and I also must have the okay by my husband over me as a woman teacher. If I don't have my husband's okay with it and I don't have a pastor over me that's okay with it, then I, they won't approve it. I would be out of step with precept and what they expect. So that's good. I mean, I love that setup. And I love that Pastor Rob years back finally came to that conclusion and that's how they that's how they ended up allowing us to have men in our classes here and now they don't know what to do with us because the the the, the way they have the thing set up it's it's women's ministries and men's ministries for studies but we're precept and we do both men and women and they don't know what to do with me how to put me on the Just general. Now, they finally have fixed it then. That's good. It took a long time, though, because they didn't, they weren't sure what to do with it, because I, I think some people were just not really ready to let go of that. But I think they finally become enlightened enough. And honestly, it's just a matter of being trained. If you, once you do this and we'll talk it through, you go, of course. Now I get it. It is okay for me. And I think it frees us up as both men and women, too to not only exercise our gifts, but to submit to others over us without any kind of argument within our flesh. Our flesh is not at this tug of war all the time about is it okay, is it not okay, and who should and who shouldn't. Once you understand the design order and how the church is set up, and the church itself is set up with the pastor over you, and it's, it's your man who represents Christ, right? Then all the rest of the functions within the church have him as their umbrella as their head and we are able to operate in any capacity he so allows us to do yay i'm excited about that okay i hope that clarified that part
All right. Uh oh. <laughs> I love those kinds of questions. That is a whole nother question. Um, well, I think there's always grace. God is generally works is really good to help you navigate the waters through that. Um, let's talk. Let's talk later. Right. Let me. Let's talk about that one later after after we're done with this because that's really is a whole nother subject matter and it can get it's well. But I, you know, I would have to say that. Most of us have, if we've not lived through it, we've seen people going through it. And how do you handle it? And there are scriptures that cover that. So, okay, let's start with our subject of leaders. Speaking of our leaders, right? We now need to, again, just, uh, split the hairs between those who are spiritually gifted as leaders and those who hold the office of leader, correct? Right? So what now do you know about a leader? Who is able to be a leader? A man. If if you're speaking of the office, okay. What about spiritual gifting? Anyone who has it, man or woman. Man or woman can have the spiritual gift of leadership, either one. And do you suppose that God would give a woman a gift of leadership and then not allow her to exercise it? Does that even make sense? No, it doesn't. <laughs> okay, let's do a word study first. The word leads was the word that you looked up. It was in Romans 12, 8. And what is that number? 491. I'm going to try to spell this. Do you know how to pronounce that one for us, Kristen? P-R-O-I-S-T-E. M I. I had I take I usually take that part off that gives you the translation how to pronounce it, but because I don't want to fill up my whole page. But <laughs> okay, so how does it translate? What is the definition for the word leads? Okay, to stand. To preside. Oh, yes. I, I thought that was interesting. Protector or guardian. It's another quality or aspect of the leader. Care for. You missed one. I think that's really important. It's rule. Thank you. Rule. It's almost an obvious one, but it's actually probably the most declarative of all of them. The leader is a ruler. He's the one who rules over or administrates over something, right? He super he superintends something or presides over. He's set over it. Um, my Greek English lexicon goes on to say it, the word master is also a good defining word to use. Those who guide you in the Lord, actually, is how it goes on to say that. Because what we do need to constantly remind ourselves is we're speaking on 
these subjects in reference to the church, correct? It's in reference to spiritual matters, correct? So although it's technically true that a leader is all those things also in the secular world, but this is a gifting that's for the body of Christ, okay? So it's within the spiritual realm, this is their job. They are to stand before, they are a protection or a guardian, but they are the one who presides over or they often care for, that word sometimes applies in, in some cases, they are master and they are ruler primarily so in the idea of a leader i think is a term that we learned very early in kindergarten right who 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 doesn't want to be the the leader of the line right you know oh who's the quietest in the room in my room who's the loudest <laughs> right you get to lead <laughs> all right all right so we looked at several scriptures you looked um First Timothy, First Peter, First Thessalonians, Hebrews, all kinds of verses there. What were some other terms that are identified for those? This, go to First Timothy. Okay, that was in one through seven, and he's called an overseer. And it, that was number nineteen eighty-five. And how did that definition, was there any insight that was in addition to what you had already gotten? <laughs> I'm laughing at my, okay, supervisor, superintendent. I kind of like the word oversight better. Oversight. Okay, mine. Can I read what mine says here? Because I got tickled at it. Um, it, it. It's that word epikopos. A man charged with the duty of seeing that things be done by others are done rightly. <laughs> and I'm going. Okay, so who determines what's rightly? The leader. Because where does where does his concept of whether it's being done rightly or not being done rightly come from? What is it that, that instigates or puts this into motion that he's a leader? Leader of what? What might be you a leader of? Okay, okay, and that would be then the office of elder. And in that case, you are given a job. You're literally hired by your church and paid by your church to be that leader, superintendent, whatever. Now, where does he get his mission statement from? Some well, hopefully it's biblical, absolutely, right? But but if you're a leader, who gets that on paper? You do. It's your concept of what's being done right. I mean, if you, for instance, if you if God's put it upon a leader in a church, whoever they are, if it's a spiritual gifting rather than a, a, a office of, okay, let's switch to the spiritual gifting. If you are spiritually gifted as a leader, God has probably placed in your heart a vision for some kind of ministry or or activity for you to do, correct? Like uh, maybe you're you're given a, a heart and a passion to do some kind of an outreach program, right? And so as a leader for that, you say, this is what I see. 
I see this need here. I see that these people here aren't being reached. I see that we have the capacity to handle that. I see that, oh, I think that we could do this and we could do that. And, and you know what? I bet if we joined with this church here and with that church there, and all of a sudden they're seeing grandiose ideas of something, you know, really big happening, right? That's what leaders do. So what would you call that? Vision. They're visionaries. They're the ones who see this big picture and they are visionary. And so they, they look broadly. They also tend to not just look at, okay, how can we make that happen right here in this classroom? They tend to look at how might it affect in a bigger way, right? They're not looking at today. They're looking at what? Long term. They, they set long-term goals. They have big pictures in it. They see the potential for, for really great things to happen. And because it's this impression that they receive by the guidance of the Holy Spirit in their life through the spiritual gifting, they have all these great big ideas, right? Great big visions of how they want to do it. So when it says in here, it's a man that's charged with the duty of seeing the things be done by others are done rightly. The rightly, in uh, uh, Janice is correct, it's really rightly according to how they feel God is leading, right? Hopefully they're leading, they're following Christ and therefore you can follow them. That's what Paul kept saying, right? Follow me as I follow Christ myself. So the leader has a vision. The vision comes from God. He, he maybe is prompted by experiences and uh, people he runs into and things that, that come into his routine or day. And all of a sudden he sees, I see a need. I want to start this, this mission or this ministry. All right. So he then acts as an overseer concerning that. But generally a leader, what do they not generally do so well? The details. They kind of get this big, oh, we could do this. And about five or six of the administrators around go, <laughs> okay, all right, let me see. Let me, and, and the administrator, who, who also is a leader in their arena, but they start going the opposite of what the, bi the big picture visionary guy does. They start thinking details. Okay, if we're going to do that, we're going to have to probably put up a petition. We're going to have to divide this room down because we're going to have to accommodate two groups. And we'll see, and then if we meet on this day and they meet on that day, then that'll work out okay. And, I mean, they just start thinking details, right? All the things that you and I don't think. Oh, I need to call this person. I need to set that up. So-and-so needs to do this. They, they start going into the detail. But the leader, no. They just say, whoo, let's do this right? And so they don't often think very practically, but they think in big ways and, and their, their vision comes from guidance of, whole, of the Holy Spirit. So we see that in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, when you see that word overseer, they are the man charged with the duty of seeing that things get, are going to get done by, by letting others know what they want done, right? And then they make sure it's done rightly and rightly means their way, <laughs> generally <laughs> okay um, now we're going to talk more on that but I mean that's the general concept um, okay first Timothy 3 4 
what did you learn about the overseer? Okay, now here's the problem with our first Timothy passage, right? They picked first Timothy out because within it are concepts that you can draw out that apply to any, any leader. But specifically, 1 Timothy is written to what, what leaders? Those who hold, have the gifting of it or those who hold the office of? The office. So that's where when you look at some of these, we had the same problem with all three of these gifts. Sometimes we went in, and well, actually the first two in particular, leaders and administrators. Sometimes these are speaking of people who hold the office of, and if it's talking about the overseer and the deacons and the pastors, like we also spoke of this about the pastor teacher, the one who's a pastor over a church, what about the women who are gifted as pastor teachers? Are there women pastor teachers? Yes, but are they allowed to hold the office of pastor? No, now we know that. But you understand that doesn't mean they don't have a gifting as a pastor teacher and that they can't exercise that under the umbrella of their husband, the the leader of the church, whoever he is, not their physical husband, but their uh, imagery husband, right? That the head of the church is the, is the husband, man, and they can operate, though, as the wife, being, being a member of that body in any capacity that as long as their leader their authority over them allows and has given sanction for it. That's why we have to go through our church leaders to get approval to start ministries, right? They have to give their stamp of approval. Yes, I see this is a need. Yes, I'm, I'm willing to support that. And most of them are just happy if you'll just go out and work. They don't care what you do if you're willing to do the work to do it, right? They're all, yep, go for it, <laughs> you know? Unless, of course, it's going to cost them a lot of financial, then they have to go through their their budgetary considerations. Okay, so 1 Timothy uh, 3, 4 is another word. This one was the word overseer. This one is what? What does an overseer do? He manages, right? In this case, this is the, the specific order was one who manages his own household well. But the concept of managing also is still uh, is still it applies for the gifting of the leader as well. So you have to somehow take the information that you're looking in First Timothy three and extract out of it how might this apply with a person who's simply gifted not someone who's wanting the office of the office of though is very specific did you notice husbands have but one wife they manage their house well they you know they're not given too much wine they're all these things so when it goes to a leader would you say that many of those qualities are probably good qualities to have if you're going to have a leader yeah. So in general, it isn't that legalistically every one of those points have to have to be met by a person with the gift of leadership, but the message behind it is these are good qualifications. These are good characteristics to look for in your leaders, right? All right. So they manage their house well. That's again 4291, the same definition that we had up here. All right. They're good managers. Um 1 Peter 
Um, there, in, in that one, it was talking about the, the um, elders, right? There you go. E-X-E-R-C-I-S-I-N-G. Exercising oversight. There's that bigger picture of what it is they're doing. And they are... they. They can shepherd, elders do all also will shepherd, but what we've learned when we did our pastor um, study was by definition a pastor is a shepherd, right? And yet in this pl- cl- uh, case they're actually kind of merging that the leader should also have some quality of being a shepherd, it sounds like. But leadership in the spiritual gifting, in the purity of, it, of what a leader is, do you think they have to be a shepherd? Not really, not too much. Although, the part that that will bring in is, who are they, or what do you think motivates them? Do you think it's people or projects? A leader, a leader. What is it that really motivates a true leader? People. They are people motivated. They are people focused. That is the energy that that gets them revved up right and they can't for me the energy comes just the word of God I mean I get into the word of God and I get so excited you know about the things I'm learning and how I see connections and you know somebody sent me the funniest email this week um Andre Runk you guys know Andre maybe and she asked me a question about something that came right out of our kings and prophets study well it's been two years ago and, but immediately I went, oh, I know that one because we studied it, you know. So it was so fun. So I, my, of course, my response to her, she asked a, a question that's fairly short. And so how many pages do you think I had to send back to answer? Because the question was involved. I mean, in order to get to the answer, you had to explain about three different things, right? That's the way God's word is. But it was fun. That's what energizes me is the word because that's my gifting. The leader is energized by the people. He sees the people's needs. So in that regard, he is a shepherd. Okay, exercising oversight. And it says, as a shepherd, people motivated. Okay. All right. Then... um, We can kind of skip the rest of that. There were now, um, if, if you didn't notice when you were doing that, though, there were at least four synonyms that are used for that word leader in Scripture. Manager, elder, um, overseer, um, charge. Yeah, your leaders have charge. One of the ones in Hebrews 13 was number 2233. It was a totally different word. Hegeomai, H-E-G-E-O-M-A-I, to rule, command, have authority, to be a governor. Basically, it's another Greek synonym for the same word. It's just stated in a different way. And in that one, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So in this, one of the points might be that... that, uh, I'm going to put on here Hebrews uh, 13, 17, leaders give an account. 
And the account is to who? To God, obviously, right? For how they lead. And it talks literally about your souls because they keep watch over your soul. So a good leader, a good spiritual leader, their goal is to promote what? Your soul. To promote the welfare, the benefit, the growing of your spiritual soul, your relationship with God. That is what your spiritual leaders are about. Now, in the secular world, leaders are just leaders. They can lead in anything, right? But in the spiritual gifting world, if you narrow that down, what are they leading you toward? God and relationship with God and exercise of your life under God and sanctification as a believer, correct? Okay, so that covers leaders. Now I'm going to move to the next gift and we will come back though. I have two charts here on strengths and possible weaknesses for each of these three gifts. And if we have time, we'll try to go through some of those. But if we don't get through all of them, they will come to you in the email on my chart this time. Okay, I, I incorporated them into the chart. Because they're, one of the things Kay does at the end is, uh, I can't remember if it was after the first section on leadership or if it was after administrations. It might have been after administrations, after day three. And she said, now compare these two and tell me how they are the same and how are they different. Because both of them end up with a title or a definition that's very similar. So let's look at administration. Administrations. And that's in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And what is our number? 2941. Uh, Kubernetes. I like that word. That's an easier one to pronounce. K-U-B-E-R. I wouldn't call you a goober now. It's a Kubernetes. <laughs> nah, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> Only my good friends. <laughs> Goobers. Okay. Um, administrations, Kubernetes, and what does it mean? How is it defined? Okay. To govern, to steer, to guide. Did yours also say governments and governing? Yeah. Governing or governments. Which, which, on its first blush, then, when you first enter into the subject of administrations, it's like, well, golly, how do you tell the difference between a person who has administrations and one who leads them if they both seem to have this guiding, oversight, leadership kind of quality about them, right? All right. So the way that Kay took us into that, now, my, my Greek-English lexicon goes 
deeper and it starts to split the hairs on a little bit more clearly but but case solved that problem even if you didn't have a way to go into your word studies beyond the the surface which is strong's she took us into two verses one in acts and one in revelation which actually does in the end it did exactly the same thing for us as my greek english lexicon so let's look at acts 27 11 And tell me uh, how you saw that there. Somebody read that verse, 2711. Okay, now that's interesting. He talks about the pilot and the what? And the captain. Now, what does that clue you into? Is there a distinction, therefore, between a captain and a pilot? Right? So... In the in this definition, then he's speaking about and, and which number was twenty nine forty two? The pilot or the captain? The the pilot, exactly. So we all kind of know about ships, right? If you think about what a ship is, right? You have your your captain, right? And you have your pilot down here, and then you have all these little worker bees down in here in the ship getting the work done, right? What does the captain do? He's looking out, right? He's looking ahead. He's got the visionary going. What is this guy doing? The pilot. He's watching all the details of what's going on down below here, correct? So he's the pilot. And the, the use of the word in Acts 27, all it does for us is it reveals to us that this word administrations, 2941, is the pilot. And one of the things I thought was fun was I, um, I got to look and see if I can find my little notes on this. Um, the writings of Ignatius and uh, Polycarp. And in there, apparently, they didn't like to do a lot of um, imagery type things unless Jesus had already established it. But this was one of the things that they did uh, use on a regular basis in the early church was the concept of a ship. And that the, sh the, the teachings behind, um, in this case, who's the captain, who's the pilot, and what are the roles that they play. The imagery of that was very declarative for understanding the exact definitions of things. Who does what and why and how, is, how does it actually work itself out in life. So the idea of the ship distinguishing between the captain and the pilot helps us to understand the administrator a little bit better that he, he is the pilot not the captain okay the ca so he is a leader yes but he's a leader that is under the authority of what a captain so there's someone in a in a higher position in, that they serve but when they serve they serve as a leader because they are the ones orchestrating to make sure things are getting done right um, one of the um, things Charles, I found another, you know, when we, after you're all done with your homework and she says, go look at your commentaries. I found something from 
uh, Charles Swindoll, where he says, a Kubernesis, which is your pilot, was an expert in the midst of a storm. And then it goes, he goes on to explain in this particular, it's called Word Studies in the New Testament where I got this. He's called a steer, a shipmaster or a steersman. The shipmaster has the responsibility of bringing a ship into the harbor through the rocks and the shoals under all types of pressures. What's the weather like? How high are the waves? You know, where are the, where are the dangers that are ahead? What do we have available to us for resources to use? How are our men doing? Is, do, how many men do we have? What are we actually capable of? That's the pilot. The pilot, the captain is up top. He's looking. That's where we're headed. <laughs> I want to go right there. And the, 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 um, administrator's job is to get us there to make it in our classroom Lois's job I have a vision for what we're going to do here which is accomplish a Bible study each week it's really pretty clear simple right her her role then is to do what what do you think your role is to do Lois knowing what we've studied this week yeah and you have to exercise authority and leadership in order to get that done right you have to make sure people know what they're supposed to do who's expected to do what and how and how and where and you know details and but her job is for the purpose of doing what concerning me as the captain in this scenario we're looking at yeah it's a support role so even though she's a leader it's a leader in a support role and that, that helps clarify that a little bit, doesn't it? It's a leader. The pilot is a leader in a support role, right? So basically under a ministry. leader of some kind, whatever the ministry leader is. In our case, it's me. I'm the ministry leader because I'm the teacher. Not that I really lead a whole lot, but I direct the, the conversation, hopefully. And then her job is to come and support me. Because if you think about it, now I can tell you that for many, many years, I did the whole shebang. I taught, I administrated, I organized, I called, I lined things up, I did all my own charts, I made my, my rosters, I mailed things out to people. I was doing it all for many years. I had no support. Can you imagine the work that that is for a person to try to be too? How does it benefit us when we stop trying to do everyone else's job? Wow, does it take the burden off? When the work is shared, then I can focus more completely on doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and she can handle what God has gifted her to do, and she's delighted because she loves doing what God has gifted her to do. If, in fact, it's a spiritual gift, what motivates you? The wanting to now in Lois's case as an administrator I'm sorry I keep having to pick on you Lois I know I'm so sorry but it's a all good Lois because you're the best administrator ever honestly um, this case the leader has vision right and his emphasis is that he's people motivated what about the this particular leader what 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 is their orientation towards details. details they are task oriented right 
And what motivates them? <laughs> Motivated by the project, right? They, they, are, uh, they, they simply want to get certain things accomplished. They lay out the details that have to be done. They are task-oriented, not people-oriented, more generally. It's not that they don't love people, but they are more task-oriented than people-oriented. Leadership is more people-oriented and far less task-oriented. They, they, you, know what they, you know what the leader does? The leader says, oh, I have this great plan. Let's, let's do this because they're not, they're not task-oriented. They're people-oriented, right? You know what they figure? Oh, the details will work themselves out. My administrator will handle that, <laughs> right? They just pass it on to someone else because they've got the vision for the bigger project. They see down the road like the captain, right? Looking ahead, that's where we're headed. But the administrator is the one that comes behind and mops up the mess. It's kind of like mom in a household, you know? Also, the reason is that as they sharpen each other's saws, basically, that administrator counsels that leader. Yes. The leader counsels. Right. They work together. They can broaden the horizons of the administrator. The administrator can bring reason right to the so you know what's that's a good point Jan because one of the things I do want to bring back up again is do you remember we talked about the the doctrine of authority and how God is does, what did I just hear something's made a noise okay but how God has designed in in his design of plan that man is over the woman but yet when you go on and continue to read in those passages what does it say about however in the Lord what both are equal before God, they, right? There's in in God, man is neither greater nor less, neither is woman greater nor less than God. In the eyes of God, they're equal. Would you say then that applies to spiritual gifting as well? Do you think the leader is greater than the administrator, even though in our concept of things we go, oh, they, the man is the head over the woman? Well, does that demean the woman? No, her position and a, a place in the body is equally as important. This is one of the points that we said about our doctrine on gifts is that there is every gift is needed and a value and necessary. They, they, they are coexisting with one another and must equally consider one another as, as value. The, the, the pitcher on the baseball team is not the most important. That right fielder is really important when the ball hit, gets head out there, right? So there's this equality thing that comes in. So in Lois and I's relationship, and it's always worked really well, she calls me and says, okay, this is where we need to go now. I need you to go and look at this or that or that or the other. And she's, But then she always says, now, what do you want me to do, right? And likewise with me. I might call her and say, okay, this is what I'm thinking, this and this and this. And then she'll say, okay, let me, let me work on that. So we work together co-equally to accomplish God's work. It's not me lordering it over her if I'm in a position of leader in my ministry, right, of, of teaching. But at the same time, she sometimes has to come over me and say, Katie, we need to get this planned because we got to get a schedule. We got to get it on the books. We got to get resources lined up. I need to know what you need. So there is a co equal working of the two giftings, even though in our human minds we tend to put one above another. But we shouldn't do that because it's it's not that at all. It is it is the equality in God's eyes of one of each one of us. Our value is 
is in the eyes of God equal. We, we come to God on equal standing, right? But we have designed roles. And so we, we need to operate within our designed role. What happens when you operate within the designed role? There you go. And, and you're satisfied with what you're doing. Yes. You find such delight in doing. I can tell you, working, um, teaching in, in the setup that we have going here at this church for me is such a delight because I don't worry about anything except getting my homework done and laying out a, a, some kind of a plan for us each week. I focus on what I am called to do and what I'm gifted to do. I no longer have to worry about making a roster and sending out emails and making sure the room is scheduled for us and reserved and the lights are going to be on and someone's going to come and set up drinks. And, you know, for years, when I was doing it in my home, it wasn't even that many years ago, about eight, nine, ten years ago, um, I had my little grandbabies living with me. My daughter had moved in. She was going through her divorce. It was tough. But... You know, I had to clean my house, take care of kids all day, get my whole lesson plan done, and send out all my information. I was doing all of my administration at home on my own because at that time, this church did not recognize women over men. So I was teaching a study in my home so that men could come. And there were men coming. But I had to do it all. <laughs> that was a bunch of work. Now, God gave me grace to do it, and I got through it, and it was just fine. And I was excited, happy to do it because I really wanted the men to get this training and some of them have gone on to do other things there was one guy that used to drive in every week on Mondays uh, from Dallas because he was here with Wycliffe Bible ministry and he used to come to my class at night so he was one of the ones I can kind of remember in my mind that was there Daryl who's in the evening group he he came in and he was always in my evening group too for years at the house but now we can have it in the church and guess what has happened because now the church is recognizing the correct placement of and the ability of women to teach men now I get my administrator under the umbrella of the church and now I'm free and I don't have to clean my house anymore <laughs> that is so true I got to say I kind of miss having it in my house because it's a different kind of environment but it but if I ever did go back to my house, I would still have an administrator. Now I would not have to do it the way I did before. The reason I had to do it the way I did before is because I didn't have authorization through my church, and I had to talk, and I did have my authorization through Precept, though. They were my umbrella in that case, because what they were doing is authorizing my home teaching, and then the church authorized my classroom here at the church until the, finally the church came on board. And so that's been really lovely. Okay, so just just by looking at these, both of these giftings are leaders. They govern, they, st they steer, they lead the way. This one also, oversight, master, stand before, you know, presiding. They're the one with the vision. So visionary and executor, correct? We just said, can you see the distinguishing in those two now? Um, Think of some roles of administrators that you can think of. Who, who might have an administrator or what positions might they hold? We have one here. That's one good example. Just in general and within the church as well. It could be office of or, or either one. Office managers. That's a good one. And that is not a 
leader that has authority because an office manager works under who? Under the pastor, the boss, right? Whoever the boss is, which is generally their pastor as far as in the spiritual realm. Okay, so it can be the office manager. Same thing, finance manager. Nursery coordinator, that's a good one. Nursery coordinator, they do all kinds of administrating, don't they? And they have a bunch of people under them and they have to keep everybody in tow. Okay. There you go, women's ministry. There's a bunch of them. If you think about how many places there are administrators, how badly are our administrators needed? Every single crook and nanny that you can think of inside of a church needs administrators. So we need a bunch of you guys. We're, you know. Jan, do you have administration as one of your giftings? I thought so. Okay, who else? Anyone else? Oh, Kristen, you have administration too, huh? Nice. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> I know. We have with all of all three of you, we've put you all three to work and, and so forth. Who thinks they have a leadership gift? I know. I, <laughs> I went, no, no, no. <laughs> but you should be saying no to quite a few. I mean, there should be some you say, yeah, I, I think I have some that. But, but how many of you at this point have come across one that you can really say, yeah, that's me. That really motivates me. That's, that tickles me good. So far, so good. Have we? For some of you, we haven't quite hit hit it yet. We've got three more coming up next week, so hang on, right? Okay. So that's our administrations. Now let's look at the gift of giving. They're pretty simple when you see think of them. This one is pretty obvious, correct? Giving or gives is actually the word G-I-V-E-S. I'm going to fix that gives, and it was uh, Romans 2, 8. Is that 2 or 12? That should have been 12, I'll bet. Yeah, 12, 8. I don't know. I missed on my... Okay. All right, and it's number what? 3330. 30. Um, Metadidomai. Something like that, right? Meta ditto me. One of those two ways. And what is the word by definition? Okay. I like that one. To give over, to share, to bestow. I like that one too, in part. And that word is actually used quite a lot in translation. You know, if you find it in scriptures, it translates to that a lot. Okay, and when we looked at the scriptures, we looked at Romans 12, Luke 3, Romans 1, 1 Thessalonians 2, and Ephesians 4. So tell me what you saw in each of those. Let's just make a, a list about what it says concerning the, the, the subject of giving. What did Romans 12.8 say? Okay. 
All right. So when it comes to the subject of giving, the statement is to give generously or to give liberally, whichever your translation says, correct? That's what you are to you are literally to give, to give generously. And what does Luke 3 tell us? Luke 3:11. Somebody want to read that? Okay, and how, what is the full, give me the verse. I want to. Uh, 3.11, ask uh -huh. answer and say to them, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. Okay, so he is to share, and the sharing does, accomplishes what? It, it provides a quality or a need. It meets the need, right? So if the guy doesn't have a coat and you have two and you share one, you meet his need, correct? So it, you kind of learn two points there. One is you share, is to share, to meet, a, to meet a need. So he has need of a coat and you have two, then you share, okay? Romans one uh, eleven. And what does that verse say? Okay, so he's going to impart. Now, in this case, he's speaking actually um, about him coming and imparting a spiritual gift. Literally, in this case, it's not a monetary thing so much as it is a is a meeting of a spiritual need. Um, but they still use the word to give in there and that's why she had us look at that one in that case what is it that he was imparting to them what was the reason he was going to impart it what motivated him that they may be established so it's some, it's for their benefit then it's something that benefits them or or some, again something that they have need of it is imparting for their benefit. Okay, now there you good question. Okay. B E N E F I T. Okay, benefit. For their benefit. Okay, so let's let's not violate our known doctrine. So at this point what you do know is he doesn't mean he's going to impart and give them a gift, right? A spiritual gift. He's not saying, I'm going to give you. Because who gives the gifts? The Holy Spirit. So what does he mean? So what does he mean by what's said there? There you go. He's going to exercise his gift. And in exercising it, he's imparting to them a benefit of some kind because he's exercising his gift for their benefit. By using it. That's exactly right. Good interpretation. Now, go ahead. There you go. Right. And I'm not giving you a spiritual gift. I am just imparting my spiritual gift to you. I'm exercising my spiritual gift for your benefit, for your good, for your welfare, that you may be uh, blessed in some way by it. So that actually, I'm really glad you brought that up, Carol, because that's a very good demonstration of why it's important to know your doctrines. And that way you can go back to the verse that you're scratching your head about and say, okay, now wait a minute. It can't mean this. 
So what does it mean? So then it, it intrigues you to, to ask a question of the statement and, and build it up and do exactly as she just says, look to what's said before, look to what's said after, get the full context of it so that you interpret it correctly. Let your context interpret it for you. And in that context, he's letting you know that what he's saying is, I'm going to come as a teacher. I'm going to exercise my gift as teacher or whatever he's going to. I'm not sure if that's the gift he's speaking of, but we know Paul's a teacher. So if he goes there to teach them, in that way, he's imparting to them his gift. I know. But if you keep reading, I know, I know. You know what, though? This is the trick with almost all scripture. Often there are statements made, people take, this is why we call it taking it out of context. If you take it out of context, you can interpret it wrongly. That's why you don't ever want to do that. You want to say, okay, first of all, what are my known doctrines? Don't violate your known doctrine. That's rule one. And rule two is let the context rule for interpretation. Good. Those are your two rules for, for sound interpretation. Good lesson. Oh, of course. The words that didn't mean exist, like they don't have, because the meaning was just there, and we're trying to like, right. like how to make this have a flowing English sentence. Yes. can understand just the words. Very good. And, you know, we talked about this, I think, last week, where I said to you, the Koine Greek, because we were looking at that, he, that he will send another helper, and we talked about how there was another word for another, and it meant a different something, but in this case, it didn't mean a different. It meant a, of another numerically, meaning Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So you maintain the integrity of the triune God being one and yet distinct roles. And so by that definition, Koine Greek is amazing. And she's right. When you come into translation, sometimes you can look at the same verse. If you're having trouble with it and you know it's bugging you, but you're not quite sure why, and maybe you forgot to look before and after. The other thing you can do, still do also is go into other Bible translations and look at that same statement in two or three different Bible translations. And eventually, after you've read three or four of them, you start kind of going, oh, I see. Because they will translate them slightly different into English. English is the worst language. It really is. It's the worst language of all. It's why I think Americans are so messed up on so many of their understandings biblically. It's because our English just ruins intentions. But Greek, the Koine Greek and Hebrew are the two languages that are the most precise in history. And God supernaturally chose those two for our written word, thank goodness. Because if you're careful to go back to those original languages, you can generally correct your understanding. Just as we did with the pilot over here. Administrations going into the text of Acts 27 showed us the pilot. There was another one in Revelation 18, 17. And in that case, that same word, 2942, was the word shipmaster. So the shipmaster is not the captain. The shipmaster is the pilot, and you you would know that if you know ship talk, right? If you understand the terminology that's used in that. And so it, it, the English is where we have a lot of problems sometimes, is when we try to translate. So again, use your 
known doctrines, let the cold context give you your interpretation, and if needed, go and look at some different translations of that same sentence in other uh, languages to, or in other uh, scriptures. Okay, so now we've got Romans 11. It talks about imparting for their benefit to share it, to meet a need, give generously. So we're learning quite a bit about a person who has the gift of giving. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 2.8. When you give there, it used the word imparting, I think. Somebody read that one. Okay, and in this case, if it's our very lives, what is it that you think he's saying about what he's imparting to them? What is the quality of that which is being imparted? Great of great value, something of great value, something of real importance or of significance, of meaning. So it's not just an imparting, um, it's not like just me saying, I'm going to give to you something. Here, I'm going to give this to you. Thank you. You're welcome. Was that of value and meaning? I mean, it might be what if there's money or something in there, but probably not, right? It's just simply the ta the the exercise of me handing something to his ear. I'm going to give that to you. But in the the language of Scripture, this giving that we're looking at, this number 3330, which is metadidomai, this has to do uh, with the giving or the imparting of something of value, right, or in a, or of um, meaning. In part, what is a value or meaningful? Okay? It's not just handing something over. Ephesians 4 is our last ones. 4.28. I think we looked at that one. Yeah, we did. And what is, again, it's kind of similar to the Thessalonians one. What does it talk about? In this way, it's slightly different point being made, but I love it. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Okay, so what is the implication around that sharing? Yes, it's something that not as not just a value to the one you're giving it to, but it was something of value to you. So you're giving up something of value to your in yourself to them. And what is also required then, if you're going to do that, if you're going to stop stealing, you're going to start working in order that you can share. Then what does that tell you about the for planning on any of this? Yeah, there's a repentance and there's a purposeful intent. So it's not just imparting something to someone because they show up and you hand it to them, but rather it's like a, it's like premeditation. Okay, you are premeditating not murder, but you are premeditating giving. And so in your life, you are, look, you are thinking down the road. You may not know what the need is yet, right? But if you're a person with the gift of giving, you live purposefully 
with a design plan that at some point the money you're making is going to be given and that motivates you. Isn't that exciting to think about? That Now, I kind of wish we all had that really strong motivation because God's ministries would have so much money that we would never be lacking. Um, I know I've said this before, the one thing that irritates me to no end is to see churches on street corners begging for handouts to, from the unsaved world. God has a plan to motivate givers in his through the gift of giving to specifically be motivated to do that one thing. They are they purposefully set in in plan, in motion, in their lives on a daily basis. I wonder how much money I can save this week. And what are they saving for? So that they can give it away. Their saving is not saving. Uh, one of the things I looked at on the pros and cons is, has, has to do with they, they can sometimes look like cheap wads, right? <laughs> Stingy people because they're always looking for the big bargain, the basement bargain. Why? If they are spiritually gifted as a giver, they don't care that they are saving the money so that they can have more money in their own bank account. They're excited. They've saved money by getting all the stuff that they need to get to do their daily life. But now that leaves more money in the bank account to do what with? Give to God and to give to God's ministries. They, that's what motivates them. So this one in Ephesians 4 is they live purposefully with intention, basically, for giving. I mean, here it's an, a demonstration that that's what they should do, but they, but they, this is what they actually do. They live purposefully. To give. It's intentional. Or I'm going to put on here premeditated. They think about it ahead of time. Now, there was another Greek word. Now, this one was tough. I don't know. Did you guys have trouble with this part of the homework where she said there's another Greek word? It's number 1929, epididomai. It was a little tough because she didn't give you any scriptures. And then so you didn't have to look it up. I, I finally figured it out. You go to, if you have a book, a hard book on Strong's Concordance, you go and look up the word giving and then look in there for the right numbers and then you can get your verses. That's how I did it. So I'm just going to give you a bunch of these verses so that you can write them down and look them up later. But we're just going to talk in conclusion about them. One was Matthew 7, 9 and 10, and its companion one is Luke 11, 11 and 12. And they're both talking about... Um, what kind of a father, if asked for a loaf of bread, would give his son a rock? Or you know, Do you know that verse? Okay. And that's where that word give is used. Also, Luke 4.17, Luke 24.30, and Acts 15.30. Um, for instance, in Luke 24.30, it says, and when, G when he had uh, reclined at the table, this is Jesus, with his disciples, he took the bread and he blessed it and breaking it, he began giving it to them. So that giving is very much like what I just demonstrated with Jan, where I picked something up and I handed it over, right? It was for the purpose of what? Getting it from me to her. <laughs> That's it, right? It was just the action of giving, right? It's the physical action of here, this is for you and handing it. 
Um, how would you say that, just even with that one example, that one verse, how does that differ from this word here of giving, 3330? And by the demonstration of these verses that we looked at where that same 3330 is used. There you go. So, and I think that's all she wanted. She gave us a verse. I think it was, um, oh, she started us with the verse. What was it? Okay, read that one for me. Do you have it? Oh, it has something about every word. Of, oh, here it is. Yeah, Psalm 12, 6. Six. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. That was thrown in there just to throw throw you for a loop, because it was like, what are you doing, Kay? She didn't explain it. She just gave us a, all she was trying to point to was that God is very deliberate in the use of His words. Okay, and in the Koine Greek and in the Hebrew, both in both cases, when God uses the word to give and he uses a different word to give in other cases, you should be able to look at the demonstration of them and really see a distinct difference. When it comes to the gift giving, which has to do with spiritual gift giving or or even the giving which is commanded to the body of Christ on the whole, that kind of financial giving is is emotional and premeditated, and there's a cause and effect with a goal intended. There's there's more to it. It's not just the exercise of an action. It's not just give it to them. Where all these others are, Matthew, Luke, Luke 4, Luke for Acts 15, all of those, it's a simple action. It's not a calculated investment, nor is there a goal other than to achieve the action, right? But the use of this word give in spiritual, the, the subject of the spiritual gift of giving or the blessing of giving is all calculated. It has a goal intended in it, and its goal is for the benefit of the one that you are giving to. So there has some premeditation behind it. So I thought that was interesting. I'm not quite sure why she took us there. Maybe she'll explain that on her video. Now, I want to just throw out one thing. Did anybody, does anybody know who in our New Testament is a good example of the one with the gift of giving? By chance, did you, did you, when you did your commentary work, did you come across? I, when I say it, you're going to know. Matthew. Who was Matthew? the tax collector, right? The book of Matthew, let me just read you what my commentary notes said on here. Um, it just demonstrates the, the gift of giving through, through his writing. He has more to say in general about giving than any of the other New Testament writers. He is the only one who makes the statement that our giving should be done in secret. Okay, um, He is the one who addresses the issue of misuse of money and resources. And his numerous instructions and wise counsel reveal a heart that's highly concerned and energized by this subject. So if you're interested in learning more about giving, if that is your spiritual gifting, reading through the book of Matthew for the purpose of seeing what does he have to say about money and finances and giving, that would be a good 
subject book to go into. Okay. All right. Now we have about 10 minutes left. Do, do you have any other questions? I mean, they were pretty straightforward gifts. They weren't that hard. Once we distinguished between the leader and the administrator, it, it really wasn't, you know, it's not a gift that's difficult to comprehend. Some of the gifts are hard, but these weren't. Do you have any questions though about any of those three gifts at this point? Okay, I'm just going to go through some strengths and also possible weaknesses on these for you, just for fun, okay? And what I want to do is do a tit for tat between the leader and the administrator first, just to say how they compare and how they're different, right? Um, a, the, in the leader, they are take charge people, right? But they are people oriented, where the administrator... They are definitely take charge people also, but they're task oriented. So there's a, a little bit of a difference there. The leaders are visionaries. We've talked about this. They have this broad perspective. They enjoy leading large groups basically with diverse needs and uh, lots of different kinds of agendas. And that does not distract them or bother them at all. They just kind of see the group as a whole and it's about leading the people, right? Um, but for the administrator, capacity and desire is to organize. This is where their focus is. Administer and promote specific projects. And they, they can break things down into bite-sized, achievable bites, basically eating the elephant one bite at a time. They can do that. Um, where the one is bigger picture, they're much more detailed. The leader, they determine the goals uh, setting up ministries. They establish long-term or big projects where the administrator, they tend to uh, attend to the needs of existing ministries. They're not usually the startup ministry kinds of people. They come in once the ministries have already been determined and they figure out how to help that get accomplished. Um, the leaders have a tendency to, to stay removed from those details, but the administrators are the detail people. Uh, the leaders, they lead to inspire those that follow them. The administrator, <laughs> they lead for success of the program. They don't care if you're inspired. They just want to get the job done, right? Six, uh, their focus is people, not process, and, and um, there's, in the administrator, their focus is process, not people so much. Not to say they don't love people, but the, their, uh, the process. See, she got it again. Process. Their focus is process, not people. The leader is people, not process. So they're absolute opposites almost in what motivates them. Uh, the leaders, they can visualize the final result. Uh, the administrator can harmonize the whole program to reach that final result. So what's really good about some, some gifted administrators, they can go into a big church or a big organization and there's total chaos going all over the place. And the first thing they, they start doing is going, oh, we've got to get this organized, right? And they start saying, okay, you, you're here, you group, do this, you guys do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. They break it down. And all of a sudden, things start going in harmony, where before everybody was 
overriding one another. They're, they're double doing the same work, which is wasting time. Some things are falling through the cracks because it's not all getting thought through. The, the processes are not in place, right? The administrator comes in and harmonizes all of the various groups so they can all collectively work together and harmonize. So some administrators go into a specific ministry, like Lois has done for me, and she does many other things as well. But for me, she comes in focus on this ministry. So that's what she working on. Some administrators work on a in, in a, the bigger picture of a church and harmonize the whole church. Okay, so it depends on what your giftedness takes you to do. Um, the leader will endure criticism to accomplish the ultimate task. In other words, they're in it for the long haul. And they don't tend to get distracted by people saying mean things or unkind things or criticizing the way they're doing it. It doesn't phase them that so much. Um, the administrator, as this is so true. You deny it. You just try to deny this, Miss Lois. As soon as a task is completed, they are already working on the next event. Often their work is step-by-step -step processes to accomplish the long-term goal of a leader. But as soon as they get that first step done, they're already, we are at a retreat for a quilting, and she's already got us on the books for the next year and telling us where we're going to be next year. We're like, we haven't even finished this one. Huh? I know, yeah, there you go, five years down the road, exactly. And so, you know, they know more than finish. As soon as they finish the task, they're, they're almost divorced from it. It's okay, let's move on to the next thing. But a leader is like, they're just long-term visionaries, and they stick with it. They never seem to get off the point. Big differences in those two leadership skills. They're both leaders. They are both leadership uh, defined, but they lead in different ways and for different purposes. They're motivated in different ways. Does that help you a little bit in distinguishing between leaders and administrators? And what's really fun, I know for me, the first time I went through spiritual gifting, this has been like 30-something years ago, but when I went through it the first time, I had so much fun going around analyzing everyone. It's like when you take a psychology course and you want to psychoanalyze everybody after. My daughter, you know, she's a counselor, and so she... She helps me. We have fun. I go, okay, so tell me what you think about this person. And so we talk it through, and she says, well, there's this, and there's this. And, you know. But you're not supposed to really do that, but you, know, you can't help yourself. It's just so much fun. So uh, spiritually gifting, though, the, 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 uh, the understanding and the knowledge of spiritual gifts within the body itself is so valuable to you. Not only do you understand people better, Therefore, you're more loving toward them. You're more accepting of their ways. Instead of being critical that they're always so on schedule for things, instead you're going, oh, that's their gift. I get it, right? Or they just don't seem to care about anything. They're just going anyway. They're going, come on, people, follow me. And everybody's going, what's wrong with him? Doesn't he need, no, we have to know this, right? But if the if the administrator and the leader are working together and and acknowledging one another's strengths and using one another, then there's this perfect harmony in the body and the accomplishing of the things that need to be done. Now let's look at their some possible weaknesses though. 
that can happen. And it's all, and the only reason you mention them is not to demean them, but that if you, if you fall into one of these as your gifting to be aware of where you might become victimized or, or become unloving in the way that you exercise, it's important to keep yourself in check, right? So a leader may become upset when others do not share their vision or goals right? They can become a little bit arrogant and prideful that their way is the right way. And they just want you to follow. A leader can develop um, outer calluses due to being target for criticism a lot. And so then they're not hearing God through the people that God sends. One of the things that, um, well, I won't say it. I'll, I'll do it later. Okay. Um, may neglect personal or home responsibilities due to intense interest in this big vision that they've got. You know, they can just get so focused on doing this one thing that they forget everything else in their life that gets neglected. Uh, that really is hurtful to the wife and the children, by the way, you know, or the husband and the children, whichever. They view people, leaders do, they view people often as human resources rather than human beings. His focus can be the goal rather than the people on occasion. When he's out of sync of the spirit, where he's supposed to be people-oriented, when he's walking in the flesh, he can become goal-oriented. His vision becomes the thing rather than the people. So they stop hearing the people. Showing favoritism to those who appear to be more loyal, right? Your whole flock needs TLC leaders, whoever you are. Do we have leaders in here? I can't remember. No? Okay. Oh, no leaders. We're good. <laughs> okay. But leaders sometimes, and I know you've probably experienced it, though, that if you have a leader of any either agency, ministry, or the, the church itself, even a pastor, if that pastor um, begins to show favoritism to one or two or three people all the time, but they forget to nurture the others, then the others can start to feel neglected. And that's that can be a problem. Overlooking serious character faults in valuable workers. They can do that. Why? Because they want their vision accomplished, so they just excuse that person's behavior or the way that they've gone about doing things. And rather than making corrections, rebuking, or removing them if needed, right, they just accept it because they're getting the job done. And that's not good. Uh, taking charge of or implementing projects which were not God's design. In other words, they've become kind of self-reliant and they have a vision and really rather than being sensitive to the Holy Spirit showing them whether it's right or wrong, they just go straight, uh, you know, headstrong. It becomes his vision rather than God's. Ability to delegate responsibilities may appear to be laziness in some cases, he realized he relies too heavily on others for things that he should himself get involved with or be doing. Uh, he may appear unresponsive to suggestions of appeals or may actually be unresponsive. <laughs> okay, so those are some possibles on your leader. On your administrator, they have a potential to overstep their authority, but it's because they're leaders. They just take charge people, and they expect those they, they serve to follow them sometimes. In other words, they forget who's leading, who's the captain. They forget that they're the pilot. <laughs> they do not like to admit mistakes. Now, this is an, an, I can even say I feel the same way, even within my teaching. Sometimes we all can fall into this. But they, in particular, because they are attention to detail and kind of that's their badge of pride, they can sometimes have a hard time admitting when they have made a mistake or missed something. They are perfectionists, which is a good thing. But 
if perfectionism becomes a negative when it goes too far, right? Uh, they can fail to explain to others why they are doing things. They just expect it to be done as they requested. Now, let me explain this a little bit further. This, I know <laughs> this lack in this lack in communication. Listen, it can it can result in others changing things up. In other words, those people who work under them, not realizing how the changes that they've made they think are minuscule and no, no effect, but the administrator's bigger plan needed them to do it the way they said. But the, because they didn't communicate that, the followers weren't understanding, and so they, they mucked up the whole plan, and now it's not working. <laughs> so they have to be good communicators in their job. Uh, their patience may wear thin with others when plans are not carried out as they intended, um, and they may neglect personal or home responsibilities also as another one. You know, I think that one of the things is they, they, they have such a gift also and have such a strength for attention to detail, and they are perfectionists. They're also, I think, a little unforgiving sometimes with others who do not have that strength. They, they forget that that's a God-given strength. You know, not everyone is an attention to detail person, so you have to, they have to learn to be generous in that. So those are two possibilities. I hope those are helpful. The last one I'm going to zip really through quickly, giving. Anyone with the gift of giving? Yay, one more. Boy, you are, you are loaded, girl. We're going to, you're, okay, so giving. They are thrifty right, for the purpose of saving money so they can spend more on God's work. They have a desire to give quietly. They are not motivated by applause, basically. The emphasis is on meeting the need. They do not respond well to high-pressure tactics. They want the Holy Spirit to lead them. They want God to lead them. They want to see the needs where they see the needs and then respond. Uh, they are eager to motivate others to give because what's really cool about givers is they've really seen firsthand the you reap what you sow kind of thing in the word of God. And if you give generously, God gives back generously. They want other ones, other people to enjoy that. They often have an ability to see financial and material needs that others overlook. That is really true. The gift of serving and helps are another ones that, that do that. Quick to calculate very how much it's going to take, when it's needed, how resources might best be applied to meet those needs. They're just really good at that. They are motivated when they perceive their giving is an answer to prayer. They love that. That's what really gets them all revved up to want to give again, right? They, it's affirming that their giving was legitimate and valuable. They rely on wise counsel. If they're walking in the spirit, they will always seek wise counsel. If they have a spouse, you have to go through your spouse. If you don't have a spouse, then you need a good person to bounce things off of so that you don't get out of line. When possible, they take joy in being a part of the ministry or the person to whom they have given. Why? because they get to see the, the fruit of what they invested in. That is also motivating. They desire to give gifts that are of high value to the recipient, not necessarily expensive, but high value meaning it's, it perfectly meets that need. And so they, they just get delighted in seeing that when that happens. Now, their weakness, they often judge others on the basis of their giving. <laughs> you have to be careful don't, not to do that, right? In their enthusiasm, they can give too much to others. 
financially help too much. Not enough remains to meet their own personal needs or their family needs, possibly causing bitterness in family members towards all giving. So you have to be careful. They can become an independent agent and fail to include their spouse in their decisions. They can become easy marks for deceivers who say, oh, I really need this, right? And Okay. They can become God to those that they give to also. People can really, I mean, if you're, particularly if you're very wealthy and you have a lot of money, pretty soon people start coming to you and relying on you rather than relying on God to meet the need, and that's dangerous. Uh, they can jump ahead of God. Now, this is a really important one to hear. They can jump ahead of God, and their giving can become enabling or even hurting. Sometimes God doesn't want you to give, even though there appears to be a need. You need to be sensitive to whether God really wants you to meet that need. So that requires, you know, that, that there has to be some discipline, and there has to be some good counsel before you just start handing out your money right? To everybody. We all need money, but do we really? <laughs> and God has to be the one to lead the giver. Okay, so that kind of gives you, the giver was pretty straightforward, but it is interesting to see what motivates them and where the dangers lie. And now we know the distinguishing difference between a leader and administrator as well. They're almost the opposite, but they're both leaders. And that's kind of cool to see. Any questions? Covered? Everybody's good? I did my job? All done today. Thank you. So